Well, good morning, church family. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, if you have a Bible with you. Ephesians chapter 1. Knowledge is a pretty important thing, isn't it? I think we can all agree on that. For us to be successful in pretty much anything, it's important that we have the right knowledge about things. A lot of people go to college, spend a lot of time, a lot of money even, uh, in order to gain a, a specific amount, a specific kind of knowledge about a particular field so that we can go and, and get a good job, right? Knowledge is certainly important. Having the right kind of knowledge is important. The story is told of a famous newspaper paper publisher, his name was William Randolph Hearst, who invested a fortune collecting these various art treasures from around the world. One day, Mr. Hearst found a description of some valuable items that he just knew that he had to have. He, he just knew that he had to have these, uh, these pieces of art in his collection. So he sent an assistant abroad to go out and retrieve them for him. After months of searching, the assistant reported back that he had finally found the items. But they were in William Randolph Hearst's own warehouse the entire time. Hearst had been frantically searching for these items that he already owned. Think about all of the time and all of the money that this man could have saved if he had the right kind of knowledge about some things that he already had. Well, in our time this morning, Paul wants us to have knowledge. He wants us to have the right kind of knowledge. But this knowledge he wants us to have is not gained by going abroad and trying to attain and track down some other information that we don't have. No, the, the information, the knowledge that Paul wants us to have is something that already belongs to us, to those in Christ. These things that we already have that Jesus has given to us. He wants us to have a proper understanding of some things because you know that knowledge is important. And having the wrong kind of knowledge can actually be pretty detrimental sometimes and even dangerous. You may recall the scripture where God through his prophet Hosea said that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, right? So having the wrong kind of knowledge, they didn't understand God or his law or even themselves in a proper way. And because of their lack of knowledge, God says that they destroyed themselves. Knowledge is important. So let's see what kind of knowledge Paul wants us to have in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in 
all. So there's some really fascinating things here that uh, Paul talks about. As you catch the, the, the kind of knowledge that he wants the Ephesians and us to have. He, start, he starts off in the first couple of verses telling the Ephesians in very emotional language that he never ceases to pray and give thanks for this church. So this is really kind of a, a side note here, but aren't you just blown away by the kind of love that Paul has for the church? His brothers and sisters are just constantly on his mind and in his heart as he prays on their behalf frequently. How many of us can honestly say that we have this kind of a love and this kind of a concern for one another? Maybe there's a side lesson to be learned here about the way that we should look out for one another and constantly pray for the well-being of one another. This is something that Paul constantly did. But look at verse 17. He tells us exactly what he is praying on behalf of the Ephesians. He tells us what kind of knowledge he wants them to have. And here's what he says. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. So what does Paul say that he wants this church to be keenly aware of? He wants them to have a full knowledge of God. I like how the NIV says it. It says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. This is the prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. He longs for the church to have a deeper knowledge and understanding of God. Now, it's important to remember that Paul is writing to those that are in the church. He's writing to Christians. So they do know God in some sense don't they? You have to know God in some way to become a Christian, right? So they do know God, but the idea is that they need to keep growing in their knowledge of Him and better understand what they had been given in Christ. I'm sure we're all in agreement that knowing about someone and knowing someone are really two different things, aren't they? For instance, I have met, this is true, I have met George W. Bush. I have. And he met me. It's kind of interesting, kind of cool, right? But if you were to go find George W. Bush today and ask him about Philip Bates, he would have absolutely no idea who you were talking about, right? Knowing, having met someone and truly knowing someone are two different things. A good illustration of this is from the old hymn, Break Thou the Bread of Life. It was written back in the 1800s by Mary Lathbury. And it's still a song that we sing sometimes. It's a beautiful song. Well, there's a line in it that has been a little controversial throughout the years. The song goes, Break thou the bread of life, dear Lord, to me, as thou didst break the loaves beside the sea. Beyond the sacred page I seek thee, Lord. My spirit pants for thee, O living word. So guess which one of these lines are a little bit controversial? That's right, beyond the sacred page. I seek thee, Lord. This was controversial to many because we believe that the Bible is the way that God speaks to us. And I certainly believe that. God's word is his final total revelation to us, isn't it? So now what some hymnals say, not the ones in our pews actually, but there are some other ones. They've changed the line to say, within the sacred page I seek thee, Lord. So which version is correct? 
Well, I actually think both are, in a sense. Because I don't think the writer of the hymn was trying to say that we should look for God to reveal His will beyond Scripture. But the idea being communicated is that at some point, God has to come up off the page and really affect our lives. It is entirely possible for us to read the Bible and merely experience God as a literary character. And a lot of people do just that. But this song encourages us to not just know the contents of the Bible, but be deeply moved and impacted by the living God. That's what I think the author is trying to communicate. And this is exactly Paul's hope for the Ephesians and for us. He wants us to know God, not just know some things about God, but for God to really influence and impact our lives. Yes, he wants us to go to church. Yes, he wants us to read the Bible. Yes, he wants us to pray. But we don't just go to church just to go to church, do we? We don't just read the Bible just to know a few things. We don't just pray just to be seen and impress some people. The reason why we do any of these things and anything else is to know God more fully. Now what Paul does next is interesting. He gives us three things that we must know about God so that we can know God better. In verse 18, he prays for the eyes of our heart to be wide open. And don't you just love that picture? The eyes of our hearts to be opened. First of all, to the hope to which he has called us. So to better know God, we must know his hope. You probably know this, but when the Bible talks about hope, it uses the word in a different sense than we normally use it. When we say hope, we normally mean something like, I hope that the chiefs win, or... I hope that we're having chicken for dinner or something like that. We're saying that I don't really know if it's going to happen, but man, I I really hope that it does. I, I would like for this to happen. But when the Bible talks about hope, it describes an eager expectation rooted in God's unchanging nature and promises. Turn with me to Psalm 146 for a moment. There are a lot of times that this happens in Scripture, but a beautiful example is in this psalm where the psalmist calls God's people to have hope, but it's not a blind kind of hope. It's a hope that's rooted in who God is and what He's already done. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust or hope in princes, and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. But look at why we have this hope. Who made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked He brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. This is why we have hope in the Lord. It's because God has proven Himself. Sometimes you might hear people talk about 
a, a blind faith, that Christianity is a, a blind faith. Or maybe sometimes you just have to have a blind faith to get through a particular circumstance. But I think the psalmist would deeply disagree with that. He makes a clear distinction between human rulers and God. And he says you can't put your hope in princes. You can't know if they're going to deliver on their word. But you can hope in God. Why is that? Well, it's because of his track record. He made the heavens and the earth. He has executed justice all throughout history. He has loved those who are in need. And he's always watched over his people. This is why we need to understand God's hope. Because to understand his hope is to understand his unbroken track record of being a perfectly holy, loving, and sovereign God. Like this psalm says, we should have hope in God because we should be able to point back to the events in our lives and in history and throughout Scripture and reassure ourselves that God will not fail us in the future. He never has and He never will. To know God better, we must know His perfect hope. But Paul gives us another thing we need to understand if we want our knowledge of God to grow. It's also in verse 18. He says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, but also what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, if your memory is sharp, this might sound familiar. This is because last week in the first part of chapter 1, we were talking about all of the blessings that we have in Christ. And one of them is in verse 11, and it's that we have obtained an inheritance in Christ. It's the same word used here. Paul wants us to know the riches of God's inheritance. But did you catch the difference between the different usages of this word inheritance? Back in verse 11, it looks like the inheritance belongs to us, to Christians. We have an inheritance in God. But here in verse 18, it says something a little bit different. He says that we need to understand the riches of God's glorious inheritance in His saints. So what he is saying here is that to understand God better, we need to understand ourselves better. Namely, that we are so valuable to God that he thinks of us, he thinks of his church, he thinks of Christians as his own inheritance. So just think about that for a moment. God has created everything. There is not something that you can think of that does not belong to God. The sky is His. The oceans, the mountains, the stars, the galaxies, all of it is His. And yet He considers us, His redeemed people, to be His glorious inheritance. Listen, there's not the right nor the right amount of words that I could say to adequately describe to you how much God treasures you. More than anything else in the universe, God loves you and considers you His inheritance. It is His good pleasure to spend an eternity with us. That's the truth. Why does Paul want us to know this? How does this help us know God better? Well, much like today, back 2,000 years ago in Ephesus, there was a lot of fake news, we'll call it, floating around in terms of what people thought the gods were like. The basis of the relationship between Roman gods and the people was essentially what can I do to keep these gods off of my back? What can I do to appease 
these gods, to keep them happy. The false Roman gods were uh, terribly irritable, were difficult to please. And Paul wanted the Ephesians to know that the one true God was not to be confused with these other gods that just barely tolerated their people. He is a God that loves those who are his, who longs to be with those who are his. So maybe you or I have bought into this fake news that God is this irritable, impossible to please being. And when we die, we might just barely squeak into heaven just by a little bit. We need to understand that this is not how the Bible presents God. Yes, there are requirements. We should diligently work to please God. But we need to understand that if we are in Christ, we are God's treasure. We are His inheritance. And He is absolutely ecstatic that we are His children. So maybe we can understand and know God better by understanding ourselves and understanding how God thinks of us. And there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of issues that we get ourselves into when we don't understand ourselves properly and we don't value ourselves properly. We are God's inheritance. Finally, to better know God, we need to know His power. Now, to describe God's power to us, Paul basically exhausts the Greek language by using several synonyms of how great this power is. I like how the NIV renders it. Paul says, I pray that you understand his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. We must understand this power if we want to understand God. It's this power that created the universe, that created humanity, that flooded the earth, that parted the Red Sea, that did all of these great events throughout the history of Scripture. And as Paul tells us, as the climax of his power, as the greatest expression of God's power, he raised Christ from the dead. Time and time again throughout Paul's letters, he tells us that we can trust God and we can trust in his power because of the life that it gave Jesus three days after his crucifixion. Romans 8.11 says that we can count on God's power to raise us because it raised Christ. But it's not just in the future resurrection that we can count on God's power, is it? I don't think so. I think we sometimes forget that uh, being a Christian not only means future salvation, but it means salvation and freedom right now. This means if God's power raised Jesus from the dead, then His power can certainly heal your marriage. If God's power raised Jesus from the dead, His power can help you control your temper. If God's power raised Jesus from the dead, His power can help you deal with your addiction. If God's power raised Jesus from the dead, His power can help you deal with every, any and every situation that Satan could possibly throw in our way. And until we understand God's power, we won't properly understand God. And we won't properly apply that power to the events in our lives now. You are probably like me in that you have been blessed by many people in your life that have truly modeled what having a deep knowledge of God looks like. There are people in my life, I know there are people in your life where you look at them and you just think, man, this person knows God. He hasn't just met him a couple times. He just doesn't know about God. He knows God deeply. And we admire these kinds of people. 
We at Sunset have many people who over the course of many years as living as a Christian have come to have a deep knowledge of God. In fact, our our shepherds certainly fit in that category. I wanted us to listen to some of these godly men for just a moment as we close here as they describe their knowledge of God and how they've come to have that knowledge. One way I've come to know God is through Scripture like Luke twelve seven. He knows the very hairs on our head in Psalm one thirty nine sixteen. He knows how long our life on this earth will be, which tells me as Christians our hope is not here, but it is with him who has prepared a better place for us. As a football coach, I'm in charge of putting together the offensive game plan. As a Christian, God is in charge of that game plan. It's better than any game plan that I could put together for our team. I have to continue to have faith, and my faith grows stronger as I mature as a Christian. And I can see God's power in everything that he does through his plan. The years of trials and tribulations that I've had to pattern through in my life, but always knowing that, that I was still his child, he still loved me, still cared for me, And that as long as I uh, held fast to the love of his son and believed in him, that I was going to still be part of his family. During the early years of my Christian life, I saw my hope is dependent upon me. As I've grown older, I better understand that it is based upon what Christ did, not upon what I do, making it a confident hope, not a tentative one. Godly people like the ones that uh, we just heard from, and like many of you as well, have come to have a better knowledge of God through things like their growth in the knowledge of Christ and His sacrifice, their knowledge of Scripture as Scripture unfolds what God's plan is for our lives uh, through many things. Well, today I hope we can look at the things that Paul gives us as he says, I want you to know Christ better. I want you to have a a fuller knowledge of him so that we can have more peace in this life and we can grow into the kinds of Christians that God wants us to be. Because he longs for you to know him. He is not this mysterious being who hides in the shadows. God wants to be known and he has revealed himself to us. Sometimes we need to remember that uh, he's, he's out there and we need to take hold of him and understand and know him better. So maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you simply need to understand this. You need to understand what you already have. Uh, maybe you, you've gone out searching for more knowledge, more understanding, uh, but it's not out there. It's in Christ. It's something that's already been given to you and maybe you need to take hold of that knowledge today. Being a Christian doesn't mean having perfect Knowledge It means starting at one point and growing closer and closer to God throughout a lifetime. Maybe you're here this morning. We're glad that you're here and you're not a Christian. Well, God wants to make you his treasured inheritance today. He wants you to know him and what he has done for you today. So if you'd like to be baptized into Christ, if you need the prayers of the church, uh, if you need anything at all, we're here to serve you in any way we can as we stand and sing together.